Welcome to the Debutiful Podcast Feed. This is the first taste reading series where each week I invite an author to read from their new book and answer a few short questions. You can find Debutiful on the internet at debutiful.net and on all social media at Debutiful. Today's guest is a professor and the vice chair for the theory and practice of medicine at the School of Medicine at Stanford University. He is also the best-selling author of Cutting for Stone, The Tennis Partner, and My Own Country. His new book, Covenant of Water, is out now. Please welcome Abraham Verghese. Hey, Abraham. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for doing this. Um, normally, Debutiful exclusively interviews debut authors, but uh, your book came across, uh, The Covenant of Water, your new book came across my desk and i wanted to chat with you because it's been such a long time since your international bestseller came out um but tell readers what the covenant of water is about so the covenant of water is uh set in the south of india in kerala where my parents hail from and it takes place between 1900 and 1977 following one family the parambal family who has a who have a unique uh, secret, and that is in every generation going back six or seven, one or more members have drowned. And this is in a land where, you know, water is everywhere and not to swim uh, is a major impediment. And yet uh, these folks have drowned. So that's sort of the conceit running through the book. But the book is very much about medicine, which I think of as life plus plus, and also about the, you know, that transition in India from being a colonially ruled country to being independent and you know so many in interesting changes happening in the world in that time World War one World War two so it's a big sweeping multi-generational novel yeah I uh, I was blown away with it when I read it um and I can't wait for readers to pick it up uh what part of the book will you be reading for us today well, I was debating what to read for you, and I decided to pick something that is sort of surgical, uh, but interesting, I think. Um, so this is uh, following um, a young surgeon in Madras, which is now called Chennai, and he's just been taught how to do uh, a thyroidectomy to remove a big, big goiter. And he decides to spend the night with his patient because he's worried about swelling and the risks. So uh, I'm just going to read that. Last section, if I may. Definitely take it away. And, um, the other character mentioned is the man who taught him the surgery, and that is uh, Dr. Veer Ravichandran. Mm. Uh, and the patient's name is Abhudunayagam. So uh, I think you have to know that to understand this. <laughs> Digby wakes to a high-pitched mewling noise and the sight of a desperate Abhudunayagam laboring to pull in air. That frightening sound, stridor, signals airway obstruction. He leaps to her side, ashamed that he fell asleep. Her terror-stricken face shows no joy at seeing Jigibi doctor. She senses her imminent death. Digby tears open the tracheostomy tray while yelling for help. This is his worst nightmare, a tracheostomy in bad lighting, with a struggling patient. He slashes through her dressings and is stunned to find her neck no longer flaccid as it had been after surgery, but swollen as though the goiter has returned with a vengeance. He cuts away 
three skin sutures, and a huge blood clot slithers out past his fingers onto the bedsheet, a layering jelly-like blob. Avdenaghi's distress eases at once. Others arrive, and flashlights shine onto the wound, which shows no active bleeding. The trachea is exposed, and he could easily do a tracheostomy, but he sees no fresh bleeding, and Avdenaghi's breathing is steady, her face calm. She even tries to smile. He should take her back to the theater and under anesthesia explore the wound, find the bleeder if it's still oozing, but it's four in the morning. For an outsider to get the theater up at that hour will require an act of God. He's loath to phone Ravi. He lets the skin flap back down without suturing it, just covering it loosely with gauze. If there's the slightest sign of fresh blood, I'll take her back. In the morning, the surgical team arrives for rounds, Ravi at its head. He eyes the large liquefying clot in the basin. Avadanagi's smile is back, but Dr. VV Ravi Chandran is unsmiling. He examines the wound. The entourage of interns and assistant surgeons shift their feet nervously. Which one of you checked this patient in the night? Silence. Good thing you were here, Digby. But when that clot came out, she belonged in the theater. You should have called me at once. Her breathing improved. If uh, No ifs, buts, and mangan bartas, Ravi says, sharply cutting him off. In the interest of a patient, you may wake me and Jesus Christ himself. To wake the anesthetist, you will need divine assistance. But take patient to theater. No discussion. He glowers at Digby for a few seconds. Then his expression softens. He picks up Digby's open sketchbook. Ah, nice only. Those surgical atlases never bleed, do they? As Ravi and the surgical crew are about to exit the ward, he stops and turns around so suddenly his retinue pile into one another. His voice fills the ward. Dr. Kilgore, good surgeons can do any operation. Great surgeons take care of their own complications. Digby colors with the praise. Thank you so much for reading for us today. Um, I mentioned traditionally I, I talked to debut authors and what the interviews and chats are usually about are kind of getting to know the author, the writer, but I think a lot of people already know who you are. Uh, two memoirs, an uh, international bestseller, uh, fiction, and then, of course, your your medical career. But I'm curious who you are from your perspective. Who, how are you different? What what has changed for you since your last work of fiction, uh, which was over 10 years ago? Well, I must say I feel very much like a debut author. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad to be on your show because it has been a long time. I think it's the nature of my kind of writing and, you know, given my day job, that it's a very slow process for me. Mm -hmm. But I certainly didn't intend for it to be this slow. It's just, um, you know, just happened that way. COVID uh, was a major interruption uh, during the course of this. Um, you know, I think I find that people want to give me two hats, the physician hat and the writer hat. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, I really feel that, uh, if anything, I'm all physician and I I seem to sort of see the lens, see see the world through the same lens, whether I'm 
doctrine or writing. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's a bit disingenuous because I do recognize that I am a writer now and I have four books, but somehow with every book you're starting all over again, you know, there's nothing given to you. Uh, but to answer your question, I think um, I don't make that separation, physician and writer. I think mm -hmm. I'm just somebody out there trying to trying to get by and uh, write and, you know, and has a, has a day job that they very much enjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, Cutting for Stone came out in 2008. Uh, when did you start this book? Was it soon after that or did you take some time in between? I took some time in between. I think uh, the whole process of releasing a book and then all the stuff that follows, you know, can be quite distracting. And it, it particularly was with Cutting for Stone where there were translations and, you know, I sort of relaxed and enjoyed all that. So I probably started in 2011 or 12, I would guess, and uh, never imagined it would take as long as it did. I mean, part of it was I switched publishers mid-course. Mid uh, I just found that this very respected editor and I just didn't share the same vision at some point in the book, and I thought uh, I'd be better off going to Peter Blackstock, who I, who I did go to, who is a wonderful young editor who's edited... Um, you know, The Sympathizer and Shuggy Bane, some wonderful books like that. Yeah. With your day job that you love very much, that does take obviously a lot of time. What is your writing practice like? Are you consistent? Is it whenever you can? Yeah, I think uh, I've been very fortunate at the tail end of my career the last 15 years to be at Stanford where they amazingly have viewed my writing as being my research equivalent, even though mm -hmm. if that was true as a researcher, I really haven't been as productive as they might have liked till just now, although I write other stuff and not just this novel. <clears throat> but I think um, despite the protected time I have, uh, I think I write whenever I can. Mm -hmm. Often tends to be late at night and uh, often on, on, you know, on airplanes or pretty much wherever I can, picking up the thread and trying to go on. Mm -hmm. I also write on the computer is a question that I'm often asked, but I always edit on paper because there's something about the computer that gives you this illusion that you can go all over the novel, but in fact, you only see one or two pages at a time, and it takes printing it out to say these 30 pages go here and these 40 mm -hmm. pages go there. So I love handling paper, and I edit on the paper before I enter the corrections. Yeah, as the years went on and and you 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 change editors, you're you're working on it. What were the major obstacles from the writing perspective? Uh, were there any? Yeah, yeah. What were the major obstacles writing this? Yeah, I think for me the biggest obstacle is I so wish I could be one of those writers who knows the whole story, and you can mm -hmm. actually see this whiteboard on my right where I. You know, I tried to outline the whole story, made an elaborate blueprint, but then you start to get writing and the characters sort of dictate a different course. And so I would erase the whiteboard and, and uh, draw a new uh, sketch. So I think being a, being the kind of writer who is driven by sort of the words on the page and the characters emerging and dictating things is not the most efficient way to write. Uh, the writers I admire, like, John Irving, for example, knows the last line of every book and the first line and the last line of every chapter. And so I think when they actually start writing, they're way ahead of me. Uh, we 
ultimately arrive at the same place where you know we now know this world and we can really start to massage the different connections but getting there was the big obstacle for me mm -hmm. you mentioned john irving um what other writers have inspired you throughout your career well um i mean i love john's work um michael and is sort of a very different kind of writer and i admire him as a poet and uh I think he, his methodology, I think I actually know this because I interviewed him on stage one time, is very much to discover as he goes along and, you know, arriving eventually at the same place. Um, I'm a great fan of Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And, uh, you know, I think the downside to being busy in medicine and having a lot of other reading to do is I'm probably not as widely read in current literature, especially as, you know, full-time writers might be. Mm -hmm. I tend to go back to the classics I love. Uh, Saul Bellow uh, uh, is one of my favorites, uh, Dostoevsky, Dickens in the past. Um, so it's it's a very long list of books that uh, I keep near me that I find inspiration from. But perhaps Love in the Time of Cholera, I would say, is the one book I would take with me if I was stuck on a desert island somewhere and had to keep rereading a book. That would be it. Mm hmm yeah, I have a similar books that I must go back to um, every few years, at least just to see how I've changed too. As I, it's a good reflection on not only like the, the work, but yourself oftentimes. Absolutely. Um, in fact, funny you should say that because I think that I didn't appreciate Love in the Time of Cholera quite as much the first time reading it compared to much, much later. It just seemed to have a very different effect on me. Thank you so much to Susie for joining the debutiful First Taste reading series to read from and discuss her debut novel, Paper Names. You can find her on the internet at suzylaw.com. That's S-U-S-I-E-L-U-O.com. And you can find Debutiful at debutiful.net and on all social media at debutiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Debutiful, and you're all beautiful.